Well, I am excited to be back. Uh, Jennifer and I enjoyed a, a good staycation. We didn't really make it well known, but we actually just did day trips and got to sleep in our own beds and uh, rested a lot. Um, it was good. Put the phones down and, and stayed off of Facebook, and it was very, uh, very restful. We, we had some adventures. Uh, I mentioned on Wednesday night, Devil's Den State Park, we, we got off of a trail and got lost almost to dark, and I actually had to get to a high point and call, just like you see in the movies, you know, I got to a high place and called the uh, rangers, let them know, hey, you know, if you don't hear, see us, you know, back to our vehicle by a certain time, you might want to send somebody out. Uh, but that was, it was still fun. Uh, definitely showed me where my limits are now, and uh, we won't be doing that again. I think the kids pretty much committed to not doing that again <laughs> as well. So it was still a good time. Um, we, had, we got caught in a storm on the way back or through Tulsa and actually had lightning strike about four cars in front of us, uh, hit a pole and got a fireworks display. It was a good time. Well, I have been praying about where to go in messages. I, I kind of had a mental holiday there for a while, and, and without the phones, uh, I would think about the church. We did uh, visit some churches in the area while we were out and uh, was uh, enjoying some services. We did learn that you need to sit in the balcony if they have one, if you're a visiting pastor and that pastor knows you, because otherwise they'll hand you the microphone and ask you to address the crowd, and when they don't think you've said enough, they'll make you keep going. So that's kind of what happened to us at one service. Um, I had to give a presentation uh, on the spot about our building project, but it was all good. But, but I did, you know, I did uh, reflect a lot, and man, it really made me thankful for my church home. Those churches were great, but it just wasn't New Song. It wasn't my home church, and I missed uh, seeing your faces and talking to you. And so it's partially why we did a little meet and greet today. Um, we used to do that all the time at New Song, and I, I don't know, I miss it. Some may not like that, uh, but I sure miss it. Well, in preparing and, and praying for today, uh, I struggled I struggled with this week's message, but uh, really want to draw our attention to uh, a certain passage. I'm going to go ahead and give you the passage so you can be turned there, and then we'll, we'll take a little time getting to it. But uh, Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Mark, chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. All right, before I get there, you know how I love jokes, and I got a good one. I keep running out of them, and I've been so excited because this, one, this one's my favorite. So I'm setting it up. Now you're not going to think it's funny. but uh, Well, no, I heard about this Italian guy who lived outside of Chicago, an older guy, and, and through some, uh, when he was raising his son, they used to go out and plant tomatoes in their own garden every year. His son would help him, as he got older, help him dig up. Uh, the dirt to plant the tomatoes, and they make their own spaghetti sauce and make real traditional uh, Italian dishes from, from their old country and enjoy that. But, but, you know, life sometimes has its ups and downs, and the young man got in some trouble with the law and ended up going to prison, and, and uh, he got in quite a bit of trouble. And his dad, you know, was really good about writing him, and, and one year when it's time to dig up that garden in the back, dig up the backyard, he, he wrote him a letter, said, Dear Vinny, I so wish you were here because I've depended on you all these years to dig up the garden, and I'm so sad that I won't be able to plant the tomatoes this year. If only you're here, I know you'd dig it up for me. And so he waited a week or so, and a response came back. He said, Dear Dad, please don't dig up the backyard. That's where I hid the bodies. <laughs> Vinny. Well, his dad, being uh, one of the law-abiding citizens in the whole family, 
Next day, FBI agents, everybody there at the house swarming the place, and they just tore apart that backyard and just searched for bodies. No bodies found at all. A few days later, another letter comes from Vinny. He says, Dear Dad, um, uh, don't worry. There's no bodies. Um, go ahead and plant the garden. It's the best I could do in the circumstances. <laughs> anyway, see, I need people sharing more jokes with me because I get to where I'm hurting for them. But, um, you know, I, I think if, if we were to reference any um, of the major events in our history in the U.S., and start talking through especially tragedies, which we're all drawn to talk about, right? The things that really got the headlines. Uh, it wouldn't take long. Eventually, we get around to the unsinkable ship, the Titanic. I mean, the, it was such a, a huge historic um, tragedy. It was widely proclaimed the, the unsinkable ship. And it was be- built in Belfast, Ireland. And when it sank, it was a terrible blow. In fact, people reported that the shipping, shipping industry was, was decimated, and uh, even in one situation, from one church, 16 men perished in it. People were weeping openly in the streets, and even at the commemoration service, the, the cathedral was packed with mourners. Lords and bishops were in attendance. But the minister spoke on the unsinkable ship, but he wasn't speaking about the Titanic. That day, the minister actually talked about the frail boat on the Sea of Galilee, the unsinkable ship, because the master of the land and sea was aboard. He turned their hope towards the one who, when he's on board, there is no sinking. Let's read our text together today, Mark 4, 35-41. And as you begin to look there, can I just challenge us something else that I've thought about with laying our phones down you know, I have a Bible app on my phone, and I use that in, in a pinch when, I'm, when we were at church services where I didn't carry anything in with me. I, I, I have my Bible there on my app, but I realized that forced me to look at my phone, which also has other things on it, and, and uh, not just for church, but to get us in the habit of actually thinking about reading our Bible. I want to challenge us just for the next 30 days. Try carrying around a physical Bible with you. Take it in the car, set it in the seat next to you on the way to work, bring it to church. And if you'll just try that with me for 30 days, I have a feeling we're going to see ourselves being reminded much more to read our word and be in it if we actually have that physical book in our hands. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41 says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. Just as, the, just as he was in the boat, there was also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was, near, it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. When we were in that storm, it was hail. We had taken a different route than my sister, thinking I was going to avoid the toll as cheap as I am. It's like, hey, it's only five minutes longer, no toll. Although we hit worse traffic in the worst storm we've been in a while. 
And um, when we got to the restaurant, we couldn't even really get out of the car because it's so bad. Where our family was already in there, they got there before the storm, and we're sitting out in the parking lot waiting for it to subside a little bit before we get the kids out in it. And uh, the, our family began to pray. And that was one of the references of Scripture that was referenced in our prayers as Jesus, you've spoke to the storms before and said, peace be still, and they've been still. And you know, Jen was looking at the radar, and every time it looked like it started passing, a big old blob would come up. But you know, despite what the phone was showing, it wasn't long, and the storm subsided. And we were sitting in the restaurant, now we should have waited a little longer because we got a little wet going in, but pretty soon we're looking out, and it looked like there had been no storm at all. You see... God has called us to live according to his abilities and not ours. And in this situation, we see a group of disciples, we see some men who were stuck thinking in the realm of their own abilities, not in the one who is there to rescue them. The title of today's message is Water Bailers or Storm Stoppers? What are we, Water Bailers or Storm Stoppers? You know, if you were out in a boat on, the, uh, on Beaver Lake in the middle of it and all of a sudden storm brews up, you get ready to start the motor and nothing. No paddle, no trolling motor, nothing. You've got nothing. And the storm's coming in. I'm sure as believers you begin to pray. And then what if you start to get a leak? You know, I'll grab the bucket and start bailing. But are we bailing because we believe that it's, it's up to us to rescue us? Or do we really believe in our prayers that it would be okay? Would you be able to lay the bucket down and say, the Lord is going to deliver me? This parable is considered from the earliest days of Christianity. This passage has been thought by scholars as, uh, such as Tertullian and Ignatius to also be a parable of the church which is destined for storms. In other words, if you attend a church, whether it's New Song or anywhere else in this area or any church, the church is destined for storms because there is one who opposes the church. Tertullian was actually, he was a prolific early church author from Carthage in Rome, province of Africa, and he's the first Christian author to produce an extensive collection of Latin Christian literature. What's interesting about him and, and the reason we may pay attention to his take on this is he is also... Uh, notable uh, and a notable early Christian apologist and protector against heresy. And Tertullian had been also called the father of the Latin Christianity, and he was also considered the founder of Western theology. This was a man who uh, studied heavily in the Word and knew the Word and poured over it and considered it part of his duty to protect, uh, protect people from heresy being taught. He go, Jesus tells him, let's go to the other side in Mark 4.35. And Jesus had told them to go ahead and go forward. It was his will. And you know, when, when Jesus tells us to do something, it's his will, and we move forward, we can't sink. We may hit some trials, but we, we won't end in failure. This is something that's been hard for me through my life, and I still uh, sometimes struggle. We were singing a song, and I was... I really think about the words of the song this morning, and it, and it said, I'm, I'm immovable or I'm steadfast, talking about us singing to the Lord. And, and, I, and I know what it was saying in our faith to him, but I thought, you know, there's sometimes I sing that, and I'm thinking, but maybe not yesterday, Lord. <laughs> I was maybe a little shaken yesterday. 
Uh, maybe not the other day, Lord, but today I am because I'm in your house. I'm surrounded by all this support. But the church can't fail through the tempest and the, and the tossing to and fro in the waves. It will arrive at its destination victoriously. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, says the word of God. You know, trials will come. In this account, this great tempest arose, waves washed over the ship repeatedly, ship, the ship became almost filled with water, the disciples, um, though good sailors, were terrified. You know, if you've watched uh, any of the movies where a ship is in the sea and they do a pretty good job, job showing that, or even the reality shows, what was the crab fisherman, uh, the, that show? Uh, but the water literally on some of those ships could come over and just sweep men right overboard. And I think from the picture we're seeing here, this is, this is the intensity that they're enduring. I mean, they truly believed at this point, and this is not the first time that they'd sailed. This is not the first time they've been in a boat, probably not the first time they've been in a storm. But at this point, they felt that they were going to perish. In 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Now, that's, that's good wisdom there, but how easy is it sometimes to do that? Sometimes I still get surprised when I'm being tested. Like, what in the world is that about? Why? You know, especially with vehicles, because I'm too stubborn to pay a shop. I, we, we normally say we can't afford it, you know, so I'm going to work on it myself. And you just fix one, and then the next one has a problem. You know, we've had some mornings sometimes where all of a sudden something weird goes on with one of the vehicles, and I'm like, oh, Lord, what are you doing to me? That's kind of the response I have almost automatically in my head, and I think, man, where's my faith? I'm, I'm automatically blaming the Lord as if he, he got in there and broke some wires or something. But we get so frustrated in those times that we're being tested. But what's the purpose or the purposes of, of events such as these? Is it to test the metal we're made of? To give us the opportunity to rise up in faith? To drive us to God? You know, I'm, I'm a sucker for uh, war hero stories. To, to hear those and hear how men stood in, in the worst type of adversity. Um, worst type of, of uh, chance for physical danger or death. And stood brave and fought. And I love those. But it's funny how uh, the other night we're hearing noises in the house that didn't match up with the normal noise that we hear in the house. And I'm walking around, you know, with my pea shooter, <laughs> just, just waiting for somebody to come around the corner, and I felt my heart beating faster, you know. Now, in the calm times, I'm thinking, yeah, anybody comes against my family, boy, it's on. It's on. I won't be scared one bit. Well, it's different when, in the, when you're in the heat of it. But, you know, trials are to tear us down so that we can be built up. What kind of person do you find, when you find somebody that's never been through any major trials or adversity, I'm not saying they're an awful person or that, they're, they're, uh, you know, that there's anything wrong with them, but there's a difference between someone who has really fought through trials of life and has, has been victorious and someone who has never been tested. We give a lot of credit to those who have been through those trials. You hear the testimonies of people who have endured uh, great hardships. I recently heard as I, I listened to a lot of other messages and as I was listening to a message, the minister brought on a couple out of his congregation who had uh, actually been within a few years before that recent converts, 
but told their story of how um, they uh, became uh, pregnant, had their first little boy, and just loved him, was all about that little boy, didn't plan to have any more, felt like they, that's all they could pour into is just one child, and, and uh, loved on him, and then found out they were pregnant with twins two years later. So they had a toddler and twins on the way. And I know it's hard for some to understand this, especially us, have twins, but the lady very candidly said, I actually was angry at God. God, how am I going to take care of three children? I told you, you know that I, I didn't want more than one, and I didn't feel like I could handle more than one. Why would you do this to me? And became very angry at God and just wished that she had never become pregnant. And then in the pregnancy, some, some difficulties uh, came about and, and uh, had the uh, <clears throat> umbilical cord wrapped around the neck of one and then there's a problem with heartbeats, but they end up both being born, but shortly after, one of them passed uh, very shortly after that, and she found herself feeling as if uh, God was, was continuing to punish her for her prayers. And then it wasn't too long after that they found out that the surviving one was going to be quadriplegic, would never be able to function normally. And within six months of that, for unknown reasons, doctors still don't know, came in one morning to find their two-year-old son, their firstborn, had perished in the night. And to hear them tell this story about, about uh, this, this deep hurt. But what's interesting is uh, this lady who had actually gotten upset with God for, the birth, uh, for, for conceiving twins immediately did not get angry at God, but immediately knew that he was trying to get her attention. And as she tells a story broken, says she immediately... As, they, as the paramedics had verified, they verified that their two-year-old had perished. She went and got on her knees and cried God and said, God, I'm here, I'm listening. And since that moment, they have served him steadfastly. Now you think about that for a minute. You think about if you're faced with that, would it drive you to your knees going after God or would it make you angry at God and turn away? Because many times our response is, God, all-powerful God, that can change anything and do anything differently, why are you doing this to me? But yet we have to understand that, that we have not seen heaven. We have not seen uh, that relief that some get, that get an early retirement, if you will, to go on to be with Him. You know, trials... Are, are to tear us down, but only so we can be built up. And it's not that you, can ever enter, that you can't ever entertain a question about it, that, that doubting God doesn't mean uh, that just asking a question. There is a, a, uh, a, a well-known uh, theologian, American theologian, he's an ordained Presbyterian minister, Frederick uh, Buckner, and he puts it like this, without somehow destroying me in the process, how could God reveal himself in a way that would leave no room for doubt? If there were no room for doubt, there would be no room for me. And that's an interesting concept. We think about it. We're like, God, if you would just come down on the cloud right now, show yourself and explain this where I can hear it physically with my ears, then I could believe that you're in control. And we talked about this so many times about when Jesus was God in the flesh and he was still put to death by men who wouldn't believe with their own ears and seeing him. But, well, if Jesus had come down in a cloud, big fireball around him, you know, the earth shake. But the thing is, is that with the sinful nature, we have a tendency to doubt. And so what this, what this theologian is saying is, what he's proposing is, is that there is not a way that God can remove our doubt without destroying us. 
until that day when we're made perfected, when we run the race and we leave this sinful place and enter into a perfected place. I've heard a saying once before, Christians are like tea bags. You never know what, what kind you are until you get into hot water. And that's pretty much the truth. You know, Christ was asleep during the storm, but does it mean that does it mean he didn't care? Sometimes it may seem like God is asleep to us. Sometimes it seems like when our trials hit that Christ is asleep. We don't hear his voice. We see uh, little of his face. His eyes appear closed. I mean, I've experienced this. It wasn't but maybe two years ago. When God lit me up, it wasn't even a service time. It was a Thursday evening, if I remember right. And all of a sudden, I had this Holy Ghost moment where I came to church and my, my notes weren't 16 to 20 pages with 16 font. It was on a sticky note with about three words. And I felt the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in me. And then I hit weeks like this one or before vacation. Like, Lord, are you here? I'm asking you to give me a message. I, I'm not hearing you. Why won't you put something on my heart? And so sometimes we are like them saying, Master, don't you care if I drown? I mean, God, I'm going to have nearly 120 faces on Sunday looking at me, ready for me to have a word from you. And you decide to play the silent game with me. And sometimes we doubt God's love for us, but the real point to be made here is Jesus was on the boat. That's the thing that I often forget too, that it's not whether he's silent or not, it's whether he's there. And if he's there, then he'll deliver. And so many times I think, God, why can't I just hear you? And God's saying, well, because I'm seeing what kind of metal you're made of. I'm there. I haven't left you. That should be all you need. And I, I wonder if Jesus wasn't testing these men on the boat a little bit. See, see if they would speak to the storm and say, hey, I have the master on board. Storm, be still. But yet they went to Jesus and expected him to do it for them. And so if they'd had the faith that they were there in the, in the safety of the, the, the Son of God, do you think maybe they could have mustered up the faith to say, you know what, sink or swim, we're with Jesus, it'll be okay. Back in the pioneer days, there was a, a father, a young son, and the father was trying to teach his boy to stand on his own, and his school was quite a ways from where they lived. They lived way out in the wilderness, and a lot of woods and forests to go through, and just a young boy, you know, seven or eight years old, and he began letting him walk all the way the miles to school. He'd go in the early in the morning, almost before daybreak, and he'd come back sometimes almost at dark in the wintertime. And that had gone on for a while, and the boy didn't want to admit to his dad that every time he stepped through that forest and, and all the noises and, and being alone, the, the fear and how he felt so vulnerable and scared. And this had gone on through a whole school year, and then towards the end of school, the, the, the very thing he fear, feared happened. As he was heading to school, when early one morning he had gone in the wrong path and came up on a very large grizzly bear who turned on him, ready to attack. And as he got ready, prepared to, to deal with uh, his demise, all of a sudden a shot rang out, hitting that bear. And out from behind a tree stood his dad. He said, I've actually been following you to and from school every day. I just wanted you to know that you could do it on your own. But I've been here all along. And you know, many times in my life, both from the example of my 
earthly father who has shown me what a heavenly father does is he's always standing there ready when the bear is ready to attack. He's always there. You may not see him, but he's right there behind that tree making sure that nothing happens to you that you can't handle. There's a man who visited a sheep farm in Australia, Australia during uh, shearing time, and he asked the shepherd if he'd ever seen anything noteworthy about the sheep. And he replied, yes, watch this. He took one of the lambs from the, the uh, weaning pen and, uh, where the little sheep are encountered to get off, off milk and trying to teach them to start eating grass, and he took uh, it to a pasture with uh, thousands of sheep. The noise of all those sheep... Uh, uh, making a noise was so deafening and he placed this little lamb down and walked away the lamb remained still for a while and then cried and its cry was answered by its mother at the other end of the pasture instantly the mother and the little lamb began approaching each other and met in the middle of the enclosure with all that noise with all the similar baths from all the sheep yet the mother and the baby sheep could hear each other and the lesson the man learned was don't think that you're beyond the reach of god he sees and hears you as if you were his only child in the world you know there's storms we all experience loneliness rocky relationships loss of a loved one a hurting child financial battles confusion fear you may feel that god is far far away that you're deserted but the truth was, he was there all the time. The very fact that you're here this morning and that he's brought something from his word to you to encourage you, to remind you that he's been there all along. You know, are we here just destined to, to run into trials one after another? No, we're really appointed to higher faith and the trials are just the avenue in which God uh, uses to grow us to that point what the disciples had tried you know you think about it um had they tried to set the sails had they tried to steer around the waves pulled at the oars and bailed water the disciples were were bailing water when they had jesus in the boat they were afraid when they had jesus in the boat they're letting the winds and the waves beat them down when they had jesus in the boat and are we doing the same things Sometimes we just try to cover our symptoms and our problems instead of getting down to the root causes. But Jesus doesn't want us to be water bailers, but storm stoppers. You know, I remember times in my life when, you know, there's been something that just touched my heart and I began to pray and I felt the power of the intercessory prayer. Felt like God was right there with me. And then to see him answer and know that we have a living God who hears us when we cry out, just like that little sheep. He hears us. He doesn't just stand back and listen to us cry. He draws near to us. Not just depending on the natural sometimes, but, but stepping up to experience the supernatural. You know, there's another message I read through recently where it's talking about tasting to see that he's good, as the scripture says. You know, when I go to a restaurant, which we've gone to often while we've been on vacation and, and uh, over eight, but, you know, I'm a picture guy. I like the menus with the pictures, right? Although uh, in my 42 years, I have not yet 
learn the lesson that those are all prep perfect for a picture to make you want to get it. But the cook that day that just got up late and got there and got yelled at by the boss is probably not going to produce that picture for you. And so I'm judging what that experience is going to be like by that picture. And I think, boy, if I could just have that, that'd be awesome. But then the taste, when you taste it, you know, that may change things. And sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. And I'm like, okay, when we go back to that place, I know what to get. I know that every time this one seems to be good. You know, many times as believers, we, we keep, we'll read the word, but we do it as a sense of duty to get on to work because we're a Christian and we're supposed to read the word. Or we get down and pray a few minutes and we just kind of spew out to God and so we can get on with our schedule. And it's almost like we got a picture of God from his word of this is what God is and we're just following through the steps. But until you really taste and see that he's good, until you experience him, until you take time to say, you know what, God, if I have to get up another 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour earlier, two hours earlier, to really experience you, then I'm going to do that. Saturday, or I'm sorry, Friday was it, I think. I'm trying to, I'm losing track of my days. Maybe it was Saturday. One one uh, morning recently, you know, we've got our, our, our cameras that will email me a snapshot if there's uh, movement or whatever. And about 5.30 in the morning, all of a sudden, I, uh, you know, see something on, on there and and there's someone in the church at first I didn't recognize. I was like, oh, no, what's going on? 5.30 in the morning, I think it was, I think it was yesterday, Saturday morning. So it was kind of odd. I was like, well, what's going on? And, and I realized it was Pastor Mondo and Sonia coming in, and they were spending time at the altars praying over this, over this building. And I talked to him later and just expressing that they really feel like God is doing something supernatural through this work. And so they came to pray. And they didn't even know this was going to happen, but just not long after they left, they barely missed them. Another couple from the church came and spent over three hours. In fact, when I finally got back to the church, uh, they were here before, uh, before they left. I got here, and, and they were here just calling out to God, and I could see them just pacing through each of these chairs and praying over the chairs and raising their hand to the Lord. And you know that's the kind of environment that I was raised in. That's kind of that intercessory prayer, that desire to not just, uh, just serve God because that's what a Christian does, but to truly taste and see that he's good, to experience him, to invest, invest my life, to sacrificially give of, of time to the Lord as a sacrifice, to truly experience him. And you see, these men in the boat, they were there with the Son of God, physically there on the boat with them. And those storms were scaring them, and they had a chance right there. You know, if they had any real clue as to who Jesus was, they would have said, storm, take us all out so we can all get out of here with him. <laughs> Let us leave this, this broken world and go on for our reward. But you know, before we're too hard on them, don't we all experience that, that sometimes we have to kind of get it after the trial? I'm sure there was a lot of reflection on that afterwards when they saw Jesus. As we saw in the passage, they, Jesus says, peace be still. And they're like, who is this that can talk to the the storms, and to calm the seas. Christ didn't at once stop the storm, though. He first rebukes the little faith of the disciples. In the Old Testament, water is often a type of opposition from outside circumstances. When you think about it, our spiritual forefathers, uh, heroes of the faith, had taken authority over natural elements by faith long before this instance happened with Jesus. Moses in the Red Sea 
Joshua, the son of Moon, uh, standing still. Elijah and Elisha, the Jordan River. I mean, the Lord Jesus was surprised when they didn't use the power available to them. He often encouraged them to step out in faith. Before he fed the 5,000, he challenged them, Mark 6, verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? I mean, we've all been there where someone, uh, you know, someone asks you if you want to go eat with them and, and you're going up to the cash register. I'm probably more single folks. We did this. When you get older, you're kind of a little more giving. But, you know, when you're in survival mode, I'm going to college, I don't have a lot of cash, and you're going up there and like, I'm hoping they're going to pay for this because they asked me to come because I only have, you know, I'm not sure I might have to put this on the credit card. You know, that they, they probably were thinking, Jesus, you're telling us go feed them. Are, do you got something in the wallet here for us? Are you paying for this? Are, are we doing a sonic run for you? What's going on? I mean, he told Peter to walk on water. He told, uh, he told them to raise the dead and heal the sick. How would God deal with your problem? Sometimes you feel like, God, come down here and deal with this mess that you got me into. And sometimes God's saying, I've given you the, the resources, I've given you my word to learn about me. I've given my, uh, access to me uh, through my death on the cross and the Holy Spirit coming. And so all you need to do is access the power that I've already given you to overcome your problems. Call on me, yes, I'll answer, but I've given you power and authority through, through uh, the blood I shed to deal with this. There's a missionary in Africa experienced great difficulty in trying to translate the gospel of John into the local dialect when he, he faced the problem of finding a word for belief. And he just couldn't, um, he couldn't uh, figure out that word and he was trying to uh, figure it out and, and work so hard to. And finally, uh, there was a runner who was bringing a message to the village that had run so hard and so exhausted, just crashed in a hammock and, and laid there, and in an expression, a moment of complete exhaustion, said, I'm at the end of myself, in their language. And he thought, I've got it. There is a translation in this dialect for believe. When I am at the end of myself, I believe. The miracle that happened here in Mark 439 when immediately the sea became as smooth as glass when the storm subsided mark says the men feared greatly but why well the awesomeness of this miracle indicated is that that they were they were there's no more mere men but something much more you see what jesus had showed them is in any other circumstance before you met me this would be the moment when you'd realize that you you uh should have taken care of your affairs because this is the end but Jesus say is, is showing them, but once you have accepted me as your Lord and Savior, then not even the storms that come at you can best you. You have the power to deal with this. Jesus is unparalleled in human history. There is no other that has been worshipped or believed that has actually come through like this for man. Herod couldn't destroy him, the Romans couldn't stop him, and the grave couldn't hold him. And he stands still, the most revered man of the human race, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by devils. 
And even they said at this time, what manner of man is this? Who can command natural forces? Who can supersede the laws of the universe? Walking on water, ascending into heaven. Who commands evil spirits and they obey him? Who fed 5,000 with a boy's lunch? Who called people back to life um, after being dead four days? Who healed sickness and disease at will? You know, when the first missionaries went to Japan, a young Japanese who wanted to learn English was given the Gospel of John to translate into his native language. In a short time, he became restless and agitated at, 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 um, at, at the questions that, that uh, he had. Who is this man about whom I've been reading? This Jesus. You call him a man, but he must be God. I don't understand why, why they call him in English. They say he was a man, but there's no way this was a man that performed these type of miracles. And he was right. He is God was in human flesh, the creator of all things, the all-powerful. At one time, J. Wilbur Chapman, a minister, experienced a great sorrow that nearly shook his faith. In addition, his finances, he was getting hit from all sides, much like a Job story. His finances were depleted, and just uh, it was about a time that he was supposed to take a necessary trip to the western United States. One of the elders of his church, who was a wealthy banker, came to his home to offer a word of comfort and encouragement. As he left, he slipped a piece of paper into the pastor's uh, hand. Chapman, Pastor Chapman looked at this and, and surprised to find it was a check made out to him, signed by his rich parishioner. But the figures to indicate the amount of the gift were missing. Did you really mean to give me a signed blank check, he asked. Yes, said the man. I didn't know how much you'd need, and I wanted to be sure you would have enough. Later, Chapman, pulling a, a lesson beyond the gift out of this, said, While I never had to use that check, it gave me a secure feeling to know that thousands of dollars were literally at my disposal. And like Pastor Chapman, if we only truly understood the great power and resource and security we have in our friend Jesus, if we really lived each day feeling like we had that blank check, and I'm not talking about just finances, I'm talking about just knowing that he's got you. In every circumstance, like a, a blank check signed, ready, to, ready for you to fill out the amount. Lord, I'm not talking about a give me God. God, give me a better job, give me better finances. But when it's within his will, when it's in line with his will, and you're crying out like that little sheep, I need help, I'm drowning here. He says, just fill in the blanks. I've already given you, I've already given you the right to tackle this. How many of you are facing a storm or a trial? The key is trusting in Jesus. Yes, for our salvation first, but then to help us solve our problems. And I said, help us solve our problems. Because the lesson is in us being active with Jesus, working through them. To work a miracle where you need one, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe this is beyond anything that you can even tackle on your own. And you need a miracle. And you know, I've reflected a lot on how uh, we conduct services here at New Song. And, and uh, thought a lot about what it is that's really going to get us to that point where we feel like we're breaking through uh, with the Lord. And I'm not talking about emotionalism or, you know, people crying and, and uh, carrying on. And we, you know, if that's what the Holy Spirit leads, then that's great. But I really believe until we get um, used to getting out of our comfort zone, truly getting to a place where we humble ourselves, and it's going to be difficult for the Lord to really 
reach in and get a hold of our lives. And so I'm just going to give us a, a, an opportunity here in the next few moments. If you have some kind of need that you need a breakthrough, you need a miracle or you need help, the waves are crashing, things are, things are way beyond what you know to do with, then come and find a place. Just give him time. If you can't kneel, then, then just move out of the seat you're in just as an indication to him, I am, I am stepping out in faith, Lord, that you're going to do something in my situation. I trust you. I know you're on board. Just find a place, and we're just going to spend a few moments in prayer. And uh, when you feel like you've been released, then you're welcome to, to be dismissed. Amen. So oh.